You're listening to the Writing Wall Podcast, and I'm your host, Stacey Hawks. Every second and fourth Saturday of the month, I will be here at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and many other platforms. This podcast is designed for indie authors to have a platform to share their books, their poetry, and their stories. We also feature well-known and traditional writers that are from my home state of North Carolina, while also featuring local writers from my backyard right here in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of Allegheny County. You can connect with us on Twitter at The Writing Wall or on Instagram at WritingsOnTheWall85 and grab our links there to our website so that you can keep up with what's happening with our monthly newsletter. Newsletters go out the first of every month and you can also sign up to follow us on the Wix app because everyone has a story. We want to hear yours. What is your story? Welcome to the Writing Wall Blogging Podcast this Saturday. I'm your host, Stacey Hawks, and I'm here with Ippy Winner and our Writer of the Week, Scott Gold of South Carolina. He's also the author of Whereabouts, Strangers to Temptation, and two other books that are coming very soon. This week, we featured his memoir, Things That Crash, Things That Fly. Scott's fiction and nonfiction have appeared in several reviews, New Story from the South, Black Warrior Review, Carolina Quarterly, and more. He's a two-time winner of the South Carolina Arts Commission's Individual Arts Fellowship in Prose and the South Carolina Academy of Authors Fiction Fellowship and teaches creative writing at the SC Governor's School for the Arts and Humanities. Scott, thank you for being our Writer of the Week this week and for being part of the podcast this evening. It's great to have you. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's nice to be here. Share with listeners a little about yourself and where you're from. My name's Scott Gould, and I'm from Greenville, South Carolina. That's where I've been for the last long time, 30-something years. But uh, I'm a native South Carolinian. I grew up in the lower part of the state in a little town called King Street. But I've been in Greenville a long time. Talk with us for a moment about your memoir, Things That Crash, Things That Fly. Oh, gosh. It's been a long, interesting road to get it out and into the world. It's a very personal book. Obviously, it's a memoir, so it's going to be personal. But it was one of those things that I had like two voices in my head, I guess. One saying, you know, this is a really tough time you're going through in a really traumatic event, the dissolving of a marriage and, and all that entails and the aftermath of that. And then I had this other voice because I'm a, a writer and a storyteller, I had this other voice going, this is a pretty good story because of all the tangential things that came into it, like the trips to Italy and me going over there on my own to my ex-wife's ancestral home. But in a sense, it's, you know, to summarize, it's it's basically a, uh, as my ex-wife and I were making plans to go on a trip to Italy, she said she was going to leave me when we got back. And that happens very early in the book. And then it just kind of unspools and unravels from there. What can you share with us about your other publications? I've got a book of stories that came out, Strangers to Temptation, that came out in 2017. And I've got a, a novel, Whereabouts, that came out last October. It's almost a year old. And then this book came out in March. And I have a novel scheduled right now to come out in February. But we're, you know, we're kind of looking at the what's happening in the world. You know, it seems like I'm, you know, releasing books during a pandemic seems to be my thing. But yeah, so that that's another novel that's coming out in February. How has the pandemic affected the way you market or promote your books, or has it impacted your writing process at all? It hasn't really impacted my writing 
in any way. I don't feel like that's it's hit there yet. I, probably one of those things that will appear later in some form or fashion. But what it's done, like with the book of stories that came out, I had I took advice from a, a friend of mine who's a writer and who's had many books published. And he said, Scott, when you go on the road and you go hit bookstores and you go to book clubs and all that, just make a note where you are, what town, and how many books you think you might have sold or passed to people on that particular trip. So with the book of stories, I've, I've got like 50 to 60 places I went. I mean, I hit the road and that book did fairly well. And I haven't been anywhere for these books because when I, when both of these books were released, everything was locked down. And that's been the big change is trying to get the word out about your book via social media, via, you know, any way you can. Word of mouth, you know, word of mouth is always good, but you, you really had to try even harder to get it you know, with these books and it's just been so different. And I, I don't know, I'm, I want to be, you know, sad about it or bitter about it, but listen, it, part of the joy for me is to see this, the completed project, to take an idea and take it through the end of the creative process. There's only so much you can do. There's only so much you can do to get out there and, and let people know about it. How long did it take you to write things that crash, things that fly from the time you got the idea all the way to publication? It's, it's funny, that's just such a hard question to answer, I think, because I, you know, once you get the idea, there was so much thought process to go into it. So many times you had to just sit and think about how you're going to handle it. The actual writing time, I don't know. I think from the moment I said, you know what, I'm going to make this into a, a book. I'm going to make it into a thing. To the time that I felt like it was where I wanted it to be was probably a 10 to 12 year process. In the meantime, I was writing short stories and other novels. I wasn't working on it solidly for 10 to 12 years. I'd probably go gone crazy if I'd done that. But I would work on it and I'd put it away, give it some distance, let it breathe a little. Then I would come back to it and say, the tone's wrong. The structure's wrong. And I had a big moment was I read, uh, there's a wonderful writer named Sonia Livingston, and I read her book, Ghost Bread. And Ghost Bread is divided into very small chapters. I would highly recommend that book to anyone. That's just an amazing book. But I, I looked at that structure and I said, that's the pacing I want to give to this book. So I went back and rewrote everything with short, small chapters. And it felt comfortable, you know people who write, you know, when something feels comfortable, you probably hit on the right formula. So, and I've told Sonia, I said, yeah, I completely stole that from you. You know, I, I, I fessed up. But once I did that, it felt like it had the right pacing to it. And then it was just a matter of getting the, you know, as they say, get the right words in the right spot. No argument here. Definitely something to consider too when you're writing your book is the length of chapters. And short chapters for me just seem to do well and do better than long, great long chapters of like 50 to 100 pages. Yeah, I, I don't know. I started and for many years was writing primarily short stories, which are, you know, smaller bites. And that felt comfortable to me to do these important scenes in one small bite and make that a chapter. And also I was, you know, way back in college, I remember, you know, reading As I Lay Dying, which had those short chapters from the narrator. You know, one of, one of them is a one line chapter. And I thought, oh, I can do this. I can make short chapters. And I think it worked out. I, I like, I still, even now when I go back and read sections of it at a, at a reading or something, it feels right to have these short, important bits of information put in short chapters. I believe there's a certain point where writers learn words have power, they carry weight, and they can shape a story that is not only wonderful, but also thought-provoking. What was an early experience where you learned that language had power? <laughs> I was in high school, 
and I was writing for the school newspaper. I was writing sports for the school newspaper. And there was a, a retired, legendary football coach in town. He had been interviewed by a fairly well-known writer for Sport Magazine. And he was so upset that he felt like he'd been misquoted and he didn't want the students to feel bad about him, to think badly of him. So he got in touch with the school and they said, Scott, we want you to go talk to him and let him, you know, do an interview with him, let him kind of give you a rebuttal for this thing. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. So I did it and it got published in the little school newspaper and the local paper picked it up. And I thought, okay, that was that was really nice. They picked it up. They must have liked my article. And then about two weeks later, I got called down to the principal's office. And he says, Scott, we got a letter here. You're being sued. And I went, what? I'm a senior in high school. I can't be sued. He said, yeah, the guy who did the interview with the coach doesn't like the way you portrayed him in this this article and it turns out I didn't get sued I was just told to like you know I was my hand was slapped and I thought that I think that was the moment I went you know what you can write things and they can get people's attention and depending on how you do it or who you're writing about or who you're writing to you can make an impression so I did that that I think that was the moment later on other things you know happen where you you write something and you know somebody has a reaction to it and, and you go oh gosh I made this person I, I was trying to touch this person emotionally and it did but I think that moment where I, I was called to the principal's office and I was going to be sued by some famous sports writer was the moment I went, hey, this you can, you can tweak people. That to me is insane. Being a senior in high school and having someone say, I'm going to sue you over a story you wrote. Oh, I was I was scared to death. I thought, well, I don't know what to do. And, and they were kind of telling me, don't worry, it'll be fine. I was like, no, they're going to sue me. It was on, you know, it was a letter on, you know, from, I forget the law firm, but just, you know, the big law firm and cease and desist kind of thing. And I went, oh my gosh. I think you have to be worth a certain amount before you can be sued. I mean, really sued, big time sued, not like small civil case sued. It turns out sort of the epilogue of the story is that I knew who this person was. And, and years later, I, I was waiting tables in this restaurant in Columbia, South Carolina. And I saw the guy he, sitting at the bar. I went up to him and introduced myself and said, do you remember trying to sue me? And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So I don't know. <laughs> What's your writing process like? Do you have a certain space where you feel more inspired? I write at home. I have a dining room table that has never been dined upon because it's full of books and manuscripts and whatever I'm working on. And I write at that table until, I have to tell you, until this year, I, at my advanced age, Stacy, my back was starting to hurt sitting there, you know, hunched over a table writing. So I bought a stand-up desk. It's an old wooden one that you just stand and I wrote this manuscript of a new book this summer standing up about 20 feet from the dining room table but I, I work at home I like to do pretty much a full draft before I go back and dive into rewriting and I love to rewrite but I, I don't sneak up on it I don't try to get the first 50 pages just right before I move on to the next 50 or I like to do a whole draft and you know for the most part I, I write it depends on the mood of the book I'm working on whether I'm going to do the first draft longhand and then type it in or or type it in this last book I, I just finished the manuscript for uh, in the summer is a, I wanted to write a shorter novel you know I wanted I wanted to be like a 60,000 words or so I decided I wanted to try to really get a first draft down as fast as I could so I wrote it on an iPad with a keyboard that I could type really fast on and it's the first time I've ever written anything that wasn't longhand first which was kind of interesting but I'll work at home I write I do a lot of my writing during the summer because I'm not teaching school. I teach at the Governor's School for the Arts and Humanities in Greenville. And I'm not really this, this is one of the few kind of 
type A things I do. I'm a thousand words a day guy. Uh, that's my that's my goal for the day. Usually when I get around a thousand words, sometimes I'd look down and it's 1100 or something. That's when I've, I've done my work for the day. And I gather that up and then come back and revise after I finish a draft. I think those are great goals to have as writers. When we sit down and we say, okay, we're going to write a thousand words a day. Or we're going to write 500 words a day. And it really does kind of help you to get the creativity flowing. Well, if you think about it, I mean, like I, in the summer, I'm going to, I'll write seven days a week and I, I get up in the morning and I walk my anxiety riddled dog. And then I come home and put on, I decide what vinyl is going to be the soundtrack for this particular project, you know, five or six albums. And, you know, I you usually go through about two albums front and back and that usually gets you close to three quarters of the way and then put on another one and uh you know and then i i keep compiling and keep moving forward and but if you if you think about it if you write during the summer you know three months worth of what you do a thousand words a day and you're working every day you got a lot of words you've got a novel length manuscript if you stick to it it piles up it's amazing how those thousand words pile up on top of one another what's also great about when we do that as writers we sometimes we get that first draft out and we can see how certain parts may not fit here, but it may fit here in a later part in the book or an earlier part in the book. Oh yeah. And, and, and I tell students this all the time and I, and I live by this is you have to write the ugly first draft. You just you don't be afraid to write that ugly one because it's got, mine are going to, mine are so ugly. This book is so bad right now. Terrible, uh, but I'm going to make it better. And I, I'm going to go back in and I'm going to figure out what's wrong with it. And I think that just comes from a lot of practice. So you mentioned vinyl, which I love. So now I've got to know what soundtrack or song would you say goes best with things that crash, things that fly? Oh, man. When I was writing that manuscript, the last iteration of it, I was listening to a lot of John Hyatt for some reason. I don't he's got a lot of heartbreak songs on there, you know, <laughs> so that. And I think I was listening to a lot of I remember back and see because that's that's been a couple years ago. More than that, maybe three years ago. Chris Stapleton. I was listening to a lot of Chris Stapleton at that point, too. I think that's amazing, too, because it's one of those things that I do when I'm writing. I tend to think about a soundtrack or a song or something that kind of lends itself to the story that I'm writing or the time period in which I'm writing in. Yeah, there's some albums just lend themselves to um, to writing like this last this summer. I was listening to Tom Petty's Wildflowers album and Jason Isbell is always a good one to put on. They just seem to like have this kind of groove that I don't I, I don't really hear it you know it's just kind of out there blocking out everything else in the world with this wall of sound and I just tell my stories difficult scenes are often part of any true story especially a memoir talk a little about those scenes and how they were featured and things that crash things that fly you know there were many difficult ones because many of them were looking back on a time when with my children in scenes that that were tough to write because that was a that was a different time in my life and a different period of our lives when things changed after that. But I'll tell you the one that was not so much emotionally difficult, but one that scared me is there's a chapter toward the end with a, I'm trying to describe a meal that I have with all these new friends I've made in Italy when I go over after my divorce. And I'm not a good, I don't think of myself as a very good food writer, but this was the most amazing meal. And I just wanted, you know, I wanted to let people read it and go, that's some amazing food that this person ate at this restaurant with all these new friends because that that was the uh, sort of if you want to look for a underlying metaphor for that meal it was like I was kind of accepted into their group but the food was amazing so I just I wrote and rewrote I rewrote that chapter that little gosh I don't know it might be like three three pages four pages I bet I rewrote that thing 20 times 
What would you say has been the most challenging part of the publishing process for you and the most enjoyable part of publishing? The most enjoy. let me start with enjoyable first, is when something's accepted and somebody gets excited about it with you and then is as excited as you are to make it better. And editing with you from that point, right? If you feel like you're in lockstep with somebody that goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make it better. And here's some suggestions. And, and I love that sort of collaborative process when you're editing with someone. And I guess the, it would be the opposite of that would be the, the least enjoyable part would be if you feel like you're not getting feedback that's helping the story along. You know, somebody just saying, ah, this just doesn't work. And you say, well, Let's talk about it. Well, it just doesn't work. It just didn't work for me. And I go, ah, I need more than that if we're going to work on this together. And I've been very fortunate. I've been for- very fortunate. That's been a rare occasion when that happens. It's, you know, the vast majority of the time it's been somebody saying, gosh, this is, I see some ways we can, we can make this even better. That makes so much sense because it's like having a one-star review and no review. And you're sitting there and you're like, thank you, but I need more. Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, tell me what was wrong here. But there's so many facets of the publishing process that, you know, it's when you get line edits, when somebody doesn't understand, you know, uh, a Southern character, for example, and they don't understand that this is kind of how, I'm a student of dialogue, this is how people talk, and, you know, they want to do that. But that's that's pretty rare, you know. For the most part, like I said, I've been really lucky. Weirdly, it's all kind of come in like a rush in the last three, four years. But but in those times, I've been really lucky. In times before that, with editors at literary magazines, it's been, for the most part, it's been a great process. Speaking of editing, is there any scenes that you left out of Things That Crash, Things That Fly, that you can share with listeners? Yeah, listen, there... (laughs) We could talk for a long time. I think I cut. I think I cut twelve thousand words out of the manuscript, that, which is that's a chunk of words. The editor got with me and said that we really think this would be better if we slimmed it down. That we think there's a lot in here that really doesn't serve the story. And we talked about it. And I went, you know what? You got a point. One that I remember well in in the book itself. I've got really. This is so interesting. I've got really bad knees, and uh, in the book I'm pre knee replacement. I'm limping around and I start thinking about playing basketball because that's where my knee injuries come from. I have a lot in there about Larry Bird and basketball because Larry Bird was my hero uh, when I was in college playing ball. And I started looking, I went, you know, I, this is, this is, this is not working. This, this is not, I don't need it. Nobody needs to know about my obsession with Larry Bird. So I cut that out. But there was, when you cut 12,000 words out of the manuscript, that, there's a lot of scenes that, that hit the dust. So now listeners are going to want to know, Larry Bird or Michael Jordan? Who's the greatest? Oh, well, I mean, you know, Michael Jordan's the GOAT. But Larry Bird was, I like Larry Bird because he was kind of slow and, you know, couldn't jump, which is, you know, which is kind of like me. So, I, you know, so I thought, oh, okay, that's good. I, I'm, I like that guy. He's, he's like me. He can't jump and he's slow, but he can still play. It was always so interesting watching the Chicago Bulls and the Celtics play one another when I was growing up in the 90s because of the trash talk. Michael Jordan and Larry Bird could trash talk all day long. Oh, yeah, listen, that's two of the best trash talkers in the history of the NBA, hands down. The things that they would say to one another and to other players, just amazing stuff. What is it that you hope readers take away after having read your story, Things That Crash, Things That Fly? I hope that when they read the book, they see a nice arc of somebody recovering from something and saying, 
this was a really hard thing to get through, but I made it. And here's how. Here's how, you know, it, there's maybe a message of perseverance or just, you know, there's light at the end of every tunnel. <laughs> you know, if you just keep moving forward. I mentioned in the book that I'm kind of a grinder. I kind of, I believe that as a philosophy that you just, you just keep grinding. You just keep pushing ahead. And, and that was what I stuck to as I was moving through this this experience. But I hope that the people that have, have gotten back to me and told me about the book said, I, I thought this was going to be like, you, it was going to be a tell-all or you were going to you were going to trash your ex-spouse or something like that. I said, no, no, no. The, it was, it was about, it's about me. It's my story. It's not about that. That was the catalyst for me going through this sort of period of rediscovering myself. It's got an interesting arc to it with multiple trips. Oh, you know, I, when I, I went back to my ex-wife's, like I said, her, the, where her family's from in the, in the hills of Tuscany. And I went back on my own on a, a fellowship. I kind of wangled my way into a teaching fellowship and i went back with it I'm, i said i'm gonna i'm gonna get my revenge here in her ancestral home with all these people who think she's so wonderful and and, and it never happened because that was silly it, i got over there and i said these are good people and i'm a good person and i don't need to do that I, I hope people would walk away going wow that was a really that was a good story well told about somebody who really went down took the road the right way who is or who are your biggest support or supporters when it comes to your writing Oh, well, my two daughters who are in their 30s are big supporters. And, you know, it's always nice when your your kids say, gosh, I really like that. And I have a group of writer friends who they look at my stuff in there. And when I say good supporter, they tell me when it stinks and they tell me when it's not good. And they tell me that they're honest with me and they say, you got to rework this man. I think that's the kind of that's the best support any writer can have is somebody being honest with them. That's so true, and I think it's even better that way because it comes from a place and it comes from a person that you admire and you respect for their writing and in their own right. Plus, their critiques aren't overly critical, but they kind of hit on the things that you really need to know about and really want to pay attention to as a writer. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and, you, and you trust them, you know, and you, you know they're doing, it, they're doing it from a good place in their heart. You know, they're not competitive. They're not, you know, they're writers, too. They're, they're, not, they're doing it for all the right reasons. And they're experienced writers, so I trust their experience, too. At the beginning of the podcast, you talked about your dog and how you walked him and all that before you sat down and started writing. Can you share with listeners a little bit about the rescue dog named Frazier and how he became part of your family? Oh my gosh. Frazier, somebody picked up Frazier in North Georgia in a ditch and brought him. They were on their way to Greenville and they brought him to Greenville and took him to the vet and the vet checked him out and they they said like we can't take him you know they were going to take him to a, a rescue place and somebody happened to be in there that heard that and said well we, I can get a foster for Fraser and the foster turned out to be my girlfriend Shannon so and cuz Shannon will take in a foster in a heartbeat i mean she's you know one of those animal people that will, if there's an animal that needs a place to stay she's going to give it to him and Fraser came over to her house and she's got a dog and we're sitting there you know looking at Fraser and you know he's got a lot of boxer in him hence the name Fraser and he all of a sudden we saw he was just he was just looked terrible and he was draining and it was just terrible and he he had pneumonia and they hadn't picked it up at the vet's office so she couldn't keep him at her house because around other animals pneumonia is not a good thing for other animals in the house so i took him to my house and of course as you can guess stacy that was the end of it once he got in my house you know he stayed there he hadn't left yet so (laughs) that's been like four years ago that's definitely a sweet story and i'm so glad that he's found his forever home he sounds like a really great dog he is 
is. And I'm, you know, I just, I, if you want, I did a piece about naming him and finding him and naming him. It's in Garden and Gun. And you can, uh, if you look it up, just Google Garden and Gun and Scott Gould. There's a kind of a cool story about how I came up with the name Frazier. But he's doing great and he's wonderful and he's waiting for me back at home, probably whining right now. What advice would you have for writers who are looking to publish? I was going to facetiously say, "What's wrong with you? <laughs> get a get a better get a better goal. Get something that's more reliable." No, it's publishing is just like shooting craps. I mean, it's like it's such a it's such a gamble. It's such a you, you have to have a thick skin and you have to have perseverance. You know, I've, I've sent I've sent short story manuscripts out twenty something times and the twenty five times the twenty sixth time. It's picked up by a wonderful magazine. You wonder what happened to the other 26 or 25, and it wasn't the right place, and it wasn't the right time. You just have to keep grinding. You have to learn to that rejection is just a, a part of the a part of the process. I have a friend who says that if you're not getting rejected three times a day, you're not doing your job. Which means get your work out there when it's ready to be out there, and just you can't take it personally. You know, it's just if you do, you're going to get bitter and you're going to quit sending things out and your work is going to suffer. And the other thing is you don't, and this is easy for me to say, I guess, because I, I went along, I mean, I, my publishing history is in spurts here and there, but you can't write. I don't think you should write for the sake of publication. I think you should write for the sake of the creative process of saying, I had this little idea and look what I did with it. That you should take satisfaction in that. Publishing becomes the added layer of frosting. It becomes the great thing, it, you know, but if you can get some satisfaction out of the fact that look what I did I made this piece of art then you're going to be a happier person I think that is very true and I've had other writer friends and other writers and authors that I've spoken with personally say to me you know that's a great goal to have publication is a great goal to have and I agree it's a, it's a wonderful goal but it shouldn't be the only goal there should be other things along the way that help you to continue that creative process yeah, you, you have to learn. I mean, I, I tell this to my students constantly and I tell it to myself constantly. It's like I my favorite, my happiest moments as a writer have not really been when somebody, you know, you get the email and they say, hey, we would love to publish this book. I mean, that's obviously a happy moment. You love that. But the happy moment is when you finish it and you go take a big breath and you go, look what I did. You know, I, I started with one word, the first word, and I took it to the end. And I rewrote and I and I sweated over it and I thought about it at night. I stayed awake staring at the ceiling and I got up in the morning and I fixed things and I did this and that. And then I did it. I made it through to the end. And like I said, publication is that nice bonus layer that you get. How can listeners follow you on social media and where can they find your books? My books are available on, you know, all those wonderful places you get books. Bookshop.org, I would recommend, is the place to go look because then you can support a local indie bookstore. Everybody knows you can go to that place and, and you can contribute to the next rocket to outer space. But bookshop.org is where I would suggest you go. And I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook at Scott Gould on Instagram. If you just search Scott Gould and Facebook, you'll find it. And I'm not a... I wouldn't say I'm a fan of social media. I recognize its importance, especially with writers these days. I think the best thing it's been for me is to stay connected and meet other writers in ways I would never have would never have happened before. I love that. I love connecting with writers that you know. I guess pre social media, you would never have quote unquote met. But uh, and it's vital these days, during, especially during these pandemic times, to try to to get the word about your book out. I just want to say how amazing this interview has been and how wonderful it's been having you as our Writer of the Week this week, Scott. Thank you so much for being here and for being part of the Writing Wall Blogging Podcast. Well, 
thank you so much and thanks what you do for uh, writers and writing uh, i appreciate it and I, and I know other writers do too i've talked to them about it well that is very kind and we definitely appreciate it and we appreciate all of our authors that come on here and share their stories with us and our local reading community Right now, I'm going to encourage everyone to check out Scott's website, scottgouldwriter.com, and you can also grab all of his links on our blog. Don't miss out on our next Writer of the Week, Dr. Michael Amos Cody. That's right, he's going to debut on our blog Monday the 27th at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and he will be our Writing Quarter guest Wednesday, September the 29th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. But on Saturday, October the 2nd, Buy Me a Coffee members can check out an exclusive excerpt from our interview. You can head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash the writing wall to gain behind the scenes season three extras, book promotion tips, and a whole lot more. Season three is brought to you by S.E. Smith and her podcast, the Get My Book Out There podcast with co-host Narelle Todd. Stick around because when I come back, we're going to do the one thing everyone's been waiting for. That's right. Some shameless self-promo Saturday shout outs. writing community. Have you ever doubted that you could actually turn your fiction writing into a profitable author business? Well, look no further than Get My Book Out There podcast with host Narelle Todd and Essie Smith. They are the self-publishing author and marketing duo that has sold over 2 million books. They're swinging the doors open to show how they went from self-publishing newbies to hitting the New York Times bestsellers list and making the USA Today bestsellers list 19 times and counting. This weekly podcast gives you real-world book marketing advice and support all in under 15 minutes. Perfect for a quick pick-me-up with coffee or tea. Your choice. You can follow S.E. Smith on social media using the handles at S.E. Smith FL for Twitter and Instagram or visit her website SESmithFL.com for links to her podcast, books, and a whole lot more. This episode of the Writing Wall Podcast is brought to you by the Get My Book Out There Podcast and S.E. Smith. Welcome to the one thing everyone's been waiting for. That's right, I'm talking shameless self-promo Saturday shoutouts. Here we go. The first one is going to author Robert Sanborn, and you can follow him on IG, robsanborn.author, or visit his website, robsanbornauthor.com. To get all of the details on his book titled In Your Dreams, A Man Hunted in His Dreams, A Long Hidden Secret from the Witch Trials, can a modern-day Salem witch save Henry Trank from the man in his dreams before his secret is revealed? Give our indie author Carol Coates' book, A Life in Opera, a look as well, talking about her relative, David Ray Smith, and follow her on IG as well, at carol.coates. Listeners can also check out her blog, titled Living on the Diagonal. Next up is Twitter author Joy James. You can follow her at Joy James Author on that platform. Visit her on Facebook as well. Her book is titled Brilliant Black Inventors. Meet these 16 brilliant black inventors and find out about their inventions. For very young children to discover the wonderful world of invention and creativity. Joy, I think this is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your book with the Writing Wall Podcast. Our next shout out goes to Queenie Yalangi. And you can follow her on Twitter at Yalangi Queenie. Queenie spelled with just an N-Y there, no E in the middle. You can grab her Linktree URL as well. Her book is titled Life in Hyderabad. 
We all have somewhere broken inside and lost in darkness, but it is our willpower and the hope of a better tomorrow which gives us strength to fight that darkness and makes our life beautiful. Life in Hyderabad is not just my book, it's the book of millions of people who live with hope. And we certainly hope that you'll check out Queenie on Twitter. Here's another great book that historians and history lovers will be able to sink their teeth into. It's called The White House's Unruly Neighborhood, Crime, Scandal, and Intrigue in the Life of Lafayette Square. Brought to you by author Edward P. Moser. This book chronicles the sometimes outlandish, often tragic history of the environs of the White House. This book covers two centuries of assassinations, slave escapes, deadly duels, sex scandals, battles, brawls, and more. Oh, it'll be fun if I can read some more about Aaron Burr's duel. <laughs> okay. Anyway, Edward P. Moser is on Twitter. You can follow him on that platform at Edward Moser one His other book that's available is titled The Lost History of the Capitol, The Hidden and Tumultuous saga of Congress and the Capitol building. In this 230-year span, the Senate, the House of Representatives, and the neighborhoods nearby have witnessed dozens of high-profile scandals, trials, riots, bombings, and personal assaults, along with a few significant achievements. Listeners can find both of Edward P. Moser's books on Amazon. And last but not least, our final shout-out of this Shameless Self-Promo Saturday shout-out segment is Gabriel Blake, and he can be found on Twitter at GabrielBlake underscore. His books have been called Deliciously Creepy and Chilling. You can also visit his website, GabrielBlake.com. Head over to Amazon and check out his book titled The Mother of All Things, a deliciously creepy, twisted, and must-read psychological chiller. A traumatic event and the breakup of her marriage returns Elaine to her childhood home where she embarks on renovating the rundown farmhouse as she reconnects with her mother and entertains her two children over the summer holidays. Terrifying nightmares, the stirring of memories long forgotten, and eerie happenings at the house suggest her imagination is getting the better of her until confronted by an intruder and things spiral out of control. A missing policeman, a suspicious psychiatrist, and an old adversary add to her escalating tension. When she wakes up covered in blood next to the body of a masked man, Elaine must fight for her sanity, facing demons, both past and present, unless it's too late. And that's it for me this shameless self-promo Saturday. Thank you to everyone who replied to our Writer's Live tweet. We promise we try to get everyone in here if we can during the season. We have two more full-length episodes to go before our season finale in October. Our next will be Saturday, October the 9th at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to keep an eye on our pages for our monthly newsletter that will be made available on October the 2nd. And you can also sign up to join us on Wix by checking out our Linktree URL on our Twitter and Instagram. Instagram pages. From all of us at the Writing Wall Blog and Podcast, we hope everyone has a great rest of the weekend. And because everyone has a story, we want to hear yours. What is your story? Anytime I purchase a book, I always review, and if I really enjoy reading your work, rest assured, it may be shared here on this podcast with my listeners and followers. Of course, I will do so with permission from the author or authors first. Please like, follow, and share this information with other writers, and if you ever need a writer's lift, visit me on social media. Thank you all again for being here for this podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and learning more about the stories you weave.